You've probably heard the phrase, with great power comes great responsibilities, right? Uh, This phrase was made popular by the uh, Spider-Man series, and it's uh, repeated in, in different fashions throughout. But it's a great thing for us to reflect on that great power comes great responsibilities. Now, we see that that's uh, inherent within our morality and ethics and even our law, we see. Uh, one of the things that if somebody does something, you know, we, we prosecute people different between children and adults, right? It's one of the things to be tried as an adult, right? There's more responsibility that, 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 that goes on when you get older. Um, we also uh, see it that we see it with children, right? In a family, uh, I know I, this happened with me and my siblings, right? We all did something wrong, right? But who gets in the most trouble? Well, it's the oldest, not the youngest, right? Why? Well, because you should have known better, right? You should have known better. You, you know and you have a greater power being older, being hopefully more mature, more knowledge. And so there is a greater responsibility that comes along with that. Um, it's an interesting kind of dynamic that we have with power and responsibility because children often want, and I think this is also true for ourselves as well, we want more power, but we don't want more responsibility, right? You look at children, and you're like, why aren't you happy with what you have? You have no responsibilities, right? You should be as happy. You don't have all these anxieties and problems that adults have of responsibilities. But the problem that why children don't always enjoy what they have is because they don't have the power or the authority that we have and that they want. Well, one of the difficulties of that is, again, as more power comes more responsibility. And so the gospel gives us this distinction here today. Jesus gives us a parable, uh, a story, an allegory, which, of course, breaks down at a certain point. All kind of stories do. But it tells us of the blessed and the the woes, right? The things to be pursued. We hear in two different occasions, he tells us if we do what the master tells us, right? If we do what God tells us, then we'll be blessed in an abundant way where the master will even serve us, even though that we're supposed to serve the master. And there's this amazing vision that he gives and that he continues to preach throughout his ministry. However... If that was enough, he would only do that. But he also at times has to warn us of the woes and perhaps some of the problems that happens if we don't follow God's commandments, right? He gives us that as well, something to be avoided. And so this is a continued continued pursuit of us to avoid sin and to pursue the good, okay? So we do need to do both. We want, I wish that it was enough for us just to pursue the good, all right? If it was enough to tell us what to do and that we would just do it, right? But we sometimes need to uh, avoid the sin, have the fear of God in some ways, hopefully in a healthy way, again, not one that drives us away from God, but one that drives us towards that pursuit of good because we want to be blessed, right? So uh, in that focus uh, of avoidance and the morality of sin, there's a few things that kind of come to light in the parable that he gives us. One is there is a distinction between different types of sin. 
which we in the modern or in the Catholic world would distinguish between mortal sins and venial sins. We see this at the very end, that he gives a severe beating to those who should have known better. But even though that the one person committed a grave sin, they were only beaten lightly. Okay, what's that distinction? That distinction is, again, that morality and the ethics of acknowledging that there are mortal sins, there are things that uh, are serious, right, that are severe, and then there's venial sins, which might still be serious, but because of something lacking, requires, isn't as serious of culpability, of blameworthiness, okay? So something might be serious, and we even acknowledge this within the law, right? There's different types of murder, first, second, and third degree, right? Because there's a spectrum of blameworthiness or kind of the culpability of an individual. And we recognize that within the moral life as well. And God, we know, judges justly, okay? Now, in the mortal sins, mortal sins which are severe, uh, which... Uh, kind of is explained here as a severe, beaten severely. Um, What does the theological understanding of that mean? Well, in mortal sin, uh, theologically, we say in in Catholic teaching that it actually separates us from sanctifying grace. Now, is that something that God is punishing us for? Well, there's kind of a two-way street, right? Nothing happens without God willing it. But in mortal sin, it's less of God's severe punishment and more of us turning away from him, right? Why do we leave sanctifying grace? Well, it's because we've turned away from God and to a certain extent have kind of placed ourselves out of communion with God because we've said, hey, God, I know that you have those rules. I know that I'm supposed to stay awake and serve you and be ready for when you return, but I'm going to get drunk, right? I'm going to go and do my own thing, right? That puts us out of communion with what the master of the house, right? And so it is less about what God does and what we're doing, right? Now, what's amazing about this is that even though that in mortal sin, we are separated from sanctifying grace and we actually have an inability to merit anything and act in supernatural charity. We're still able to love people, but we're not able to love people with the supernatural charity that we are called to as Christians. But God does not want us to turn away. So even though that we turn away in mortal sin, God is always there for us, right? Because he's like the prodigal father, the prodigal son's father who's out there waiting for our return. And so he is ready to reconcile with us. But reconciliation is a two-way street. It requires a repentance and a turning for ourselves uh, to meet God in that reconciliation. So uh, confession is such an important part of that reconciliation. In fact, the church teaches that if you commit a mortal sin, the only way to know that you're forgiven is by going to confession. The other way is kind of through... um, a supernatural, or a, what do I want to say, an uh, extraordinary situation where basically you repent of all sin and you intend on going to the confession at the nearest uh, possible opportunity. 
Uh, that will also, that's called perfect contrition. In perfect contrition, we can also be forgiven of mortal sins. But uh, the best way is to just go to confession, right? Especially if we have confession available, we want to be able to do that. However, in situations where confession is not available and we want to reconcile with God as possible, as soon as possible, we want to do that in the best way and offer that perfect contrition of renouncing all sin and desiring to be reconciled in that formal way of reconciliation as soon as possible. Now, again, with his moral sin, the church teaches a little bit more about the morality and the ethics of it. What is a mortal sin? I get this question a lot, right? What are those sins that are mortal, right? Well, it's less of the specific sins and more of the way that we encounter it. Now, mortal sins is kind of a threefold uh, identification. It needs to have grave matter. We need to have full knowledge that it is grave matter. And we also have to have deliberate consent. Now, there's a lot of debate out there exactly what that does and uh, exactly what identifies in that, what qualifies. And a lot of it is our personal own conscience, okay? To be able to say, did I really know that that was wrong? Unfortunately, a lot of the times we lie to ourselves and kind of say there's a difference between ignorance that's vincible and invincible ignorance, One is, hey, I know that that's wrong, but I haven't really thought about it, and I don't want to think about it, because if I think about it, then I might actually have to know that it's wrong, and I don't want to know that it's wrong, so I'm going to just continue to, you know, close my ears and my eyes and just continue to go, because I don't want to think about this, right? That would be called vincible ignorance, right? That we are choosing an ignorance of ourselves, right? Or certain sins that we know are wrong, but we, you know, we're kind of like, well, you know, that's vincible. Invincible is where we really don't know where there is no possibility. And the best case of this is in children who often do have invincible ignorance, where maybe their conscience is starting to be formed, but a lot of times they don't necessarily know. But again, with great power comes great responsibility. As we learn more, we have more power and we have more responsibility. It's uh, definitely a growth part that, as I started to learn more about my Catholic faith, it was an interesting kind of way of the two because I, in some sense, I didn't want to learn more about the morality of the Catholic Church because I didn't want to have to act on it. <laughs> I wanted to remain in ignorance because, again, in some cases we want to because we don't want to be uh, culpable, blameworthy for certain things. But what I came to understand is that, again, the law and God's the master's commands aren't there to try to stop us from having fun or to stop us from living our life. His laws are there to help us to live our life in the fullest way possible to be blessed in the Lord. And so we do want to learn more about the laws and to have full knowledge, not so that we can sin, but so that we can do good, right? And sometimes we know the good by knowing what is evil. Okay, so um, I'd like to just kind of unpack two specific grave matter uh, situations that I run into often. Now, there are more exactly what fits within grave matter. There's not an exact list. A lot of people say kind of the Ten Commandments. Um, You know, there's a difference between stealing $10 and $10,000, right? So both are stealing, but one is a little bit less, $10,000. Probably you're dealing with grave matter there, okay? $10.00. Mm, I mean, probably not unless you stole $10 from a poor man. Okay, then, 
Yeah, again, so situation kind of depends on the gravity of the matter to a degree. And as well as full knowledge of knowing what you're doing within that and that consent. So I'll give uh, two examples. One is civil marriage without sacramental marriage. Now, I know that this is incredibly common in the military, uh, and it's common in certain cultures as well. But the church definitively teaches that if one is to get married, that they should be, receive sacramental marriage. And that if one is not sacramentally marriage, married, but civilly married, there is an out of a disjoint of communion in that action. Because again, the Lord wants to abundantly bless a marriage, a union between a man and a woman with his abundant grace. And so he's giving this amazing gift to us. He's giving us this sacrament and he's saying, hey, I want you to participate in this sacrament. And someone who gets civilly married and not sacramentally married is saying, God, that's, that's nice, but I'd prefer just getting civilly married right now, you know? for whatever reasons, right? Sometimes there are serious reasons to do so, but we want to reconcile those things as soon as possible, okay? We don't want to leave that kind of incongruency of saying, well, I want to be with God, but I don't want to follow his laws or his rules or try to mash it up. And so, again, that is a grave matter, which Again, I'm here to try to reconcile as much as possible. That's a majority of the cases for marriage that I deal with, which is regularization, making it regular so that the sacramental matches with the civil and the civil matches with the sacramental, right? That there is a blessing that takes upon, upon that marriage. And if someone is in that, dis, that incongruent kind of state of being civilly married and not sacramentally married, what I would encourage you to do is come talk to your priest. Encourage others to come and talk to me. I want to help you in that situation and reconcile and to be able to give that great gift that God wants to give you. However, as long as one is obstinate in that sin, it makes it difficult for that reconciliation to take place. Um, One of the other kind of clear examples that I like to use for this is, again, stealing. The church requires us to not profit from our stealing anymore. So if someone comes to me and they said, Father, I'm really sorry, I stole a car. Okay, well, that I, I would consider grave matter, right? Uh, I, they knew it was wrong, yet they did it anyways, okay? Um, the, one of the questions that I have to ask is, hey, are you, do you still have that car? Well, no, Father, uh, I sold it for $10,000. Okay, well, then you need to give that money away, Okay. You need to make sure to not continue to profit from it. Well, Father, but I really like this car. I really like it. I mean, that's why I stole it. I'm sorry about it, but I want to keep it. Well, then you're not really sorry. There needs to be a contrition, a a turning away from sin, a reconciliation of God to be able to have this reconciliation. Okay, And so that needs to take place. One of the other uh, kind of grave matters uh, that I know that many people now, right now, I'm going to preach to the choir right now, okay? But I know that, again, you have conversations with people, and I know that sometimes we all struggle with this as well, is that we have a Sunday Mass obligation. We have an obligation to attend Mass on Sunday, as well as Holy Days of Obligation. Now, this is, again, a gift that the church wants to give. It obligates to us to attend Sunday Mass because it wants to give us this, this great gift of grace, not because they want to hear me preach, okay? That's not the reason why the church wants you here, okay? 
It wants you to pray and to be present with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is here. And so it obligates us, the church obligates us to attend Mass under grave sin because of this amazing gift. And so if someone says, no, you know, I've got better things to do on Sunday. Well, then again, there's a, there's a problem with what the master is telling us to try to fulfill that blessedness of what he wants us to be and what kind of our sin is choosing, okay? And so there is certain times when we might miss Sunday mass for a serious reason, right? And we can think of some serious reasons. COVID was one of those, right? It was a serious reason to miss Mass. Another one might be you might be on duty, okay? But I would encourage you to ask about it, right? Ask about being able to attend Mass. Change your schedule to try to make it. Make it something that you actually work for, right? Not just something that if I happen to have time and nothing else to do, then I'll go to Sunday Mass, right? That's not appreciating the gift, right? The gift is to be worked for. And so another serious reason might be that you might be out to sea, right? Well, that is something that needs to be done. Uh, Think of emergency uh, doctors and EMTs, firefighters. They need to be on the call. And so it makes sense for a serious reason that someone might not be able to attend Mass. But we need to seriously examine our conscience to be able to say, did I have deliberate consent in that? How am I interacting with that? Uh, Because if someone does miss Mass without a serious reason. The church does consider that, again, grave matter. And if it was done with full knowledge and deliberate consent without a serious reason, then that would be something that the church would obligate us to go to confession before being able to be fully reconciled in communion with God. We ourselves, ultimately, at the end of the day, we have been given great power by being baptized Christians, by having this abundant knowledge from the Catholic Church to guide us to follow the master's, uh, master's laws. Jesus tells us, if you want to remain in my love, follow my commandments, right? The church gives us the commandments. It guides us. It teaches us to help us to live in his love. And so with that great power also comes great responsibility. Um, and so encourage you again to uh, continue to form the conscience. Going to confession on a regular basis is a healthy, healthy uh, thing to continue to form the conscience, to continue to confess and to be able to grow in that conscience, that understanding, that knowledge, and the consent to be able to choose the good, to avoid sin and to choose the good. Um, I hear confessions a half an hour before every Mass. Uh, It's in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel over there. I also have resources for an examination of conscience as well as how to hear confession. There's plenty of resources online. And just continue to encourage that. It's one of the best ways to be able to, again, avoid, uh, avoid, you know, forgetting God's laws, his gifts. um, And again, in the story, avoiding that severe beating. We don't want to be beaten at all, right? We want to be blessed. We want to be found in that 10th hour to still be awake, waiting for the Lord to choose that good. And then when the master comes to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we're working for. That's ultimately our goal in life. But we continue to work on it each and every day.